to a country, Christian, another beautiful Sunday. Not quite so sunny. It's a little reprieve from all the heat we've had, so. I'm always amazed at how loving God is. He has loved people that don't seem to deserve his love, even me. So God is motivated. He's motivated to save the world. And my thought is today is 1 Corinthians 13. You can open your Bible if you want to, but I'd like to read part of that anyways. 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself around, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, and then that which is in part will be done away. I'll stop right there. Love forgives, and we all know that. But so many times we struggle. I should say I struggle. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. There's a lot of places we could go. I could probably, I don't know if I could, I could probably talk for a couple hours up here. That's, some people could. But uh, I'm thinking about the, uh, the forgives. You know, it's, it's God is the author of forgiveness. He reached out to us when we were unloving, when we're ugly and we're smelly, and he uh, pulled us out. God is motivated to love the world. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And another thought I was thinking about when we, when we discipline our children, if we don't, if we do it in love, it seems to be way more effective. If we do it out of anger or embarrassment or frustration, it's not as effective, right? So there's a lot of action in our, in our life that we can use to use love. Like Matthew 18, love, uh, if we approach people with, with love, it can be more effective. If we go at it with a thought that, hey, you offended me and I'm just ticked off, I need to give you my peace of mind, well, that's just not, that's just not the same. If we go at it, we pray about it, we talk to some people about an offense that we've had, or if we approach the other person with love in our hearts, it just works so much better. Love isn't selfish. 
or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. In Matthew uh, 22, 37, <clears throat> says, Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So loving my neighbor as I love myself, that's a pretty, pretty steep requirement. I will have to say I've failed on that often. In uh, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Jesus said, you should be, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He is able to do exceedingly above all that we ask or think. He's able. He is able. It's easy to love those that are lovable, and it's not so easy to love people who cause us hurt. And I think uh, having a forgiving heart, it can go a long ways. And if we always think about the hurt that people's cause, then it goes to bitterness and hard feelings and resentment. So love is the way. And you think about what Christ has done for us on the cross. He, he gave, he loved us, and he gave his life before we were even loving, before we were in, you know what I'm saying, he, we were ugly, and he pulled us out of the pit. He died and gave his life for us. And God's, God's love does not require us to be worthy to receive it. He did that for us. He does it for us as a present. In Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, I guess that's my heart. We could go on and on about that love is a big topic, but putting that into practice is the, uh, is the challenge. You know, we may say something off color to our spouse or to a friend or whatever, and it may come across as maybe not so loving, but thank you for God's grace and mercy. He, he can heal us. He can take care of us. And we just talk to Jesus about it, and he'll, uh, he'll heal us from the inside out. And I guess that's my challenge for, for all of us today to challenge each one of you to um, think about what Christ has done for you and for me. John 4, 7, 11. Somebody could probably quote that. Anybody want to quote that verse? Okay. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, 
the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so love us, we also ought to love one another. So there we have it. That's it. Let us love one another for love is of God. If you'll stand with me, we'll pray and the worship team can come up and uh, lead us in some song. Father God, I just want to thank you for what you've done for me, what you've done for all of us on the cross. And I pray that we can not take that for granted, but we can trust in your love and act in obedience to your love and walk in the grace, the abundant life that you have given us. Lord, help us to um, honor you, to receive, and to give uh, others. Help us to point others of the grace that you've given to each one of us. Bless our service, bless our tithes, and uh, your name I pray, amen. I had a couple people ask me last week, <clears throat> I've been reading tell me that they've been reading ahead. Diana was one of them. Reading ahead in Judges and was very interested to see what was going to happen uh, when we start talking about Judges as we go on. Because, you know, we read, we, we, the only time, we're, we're going through parts of the Bible right now that the only time you usually read it is if you're reading through the Bible in a year and you are reading every chapter because that's how you get through if you're going to read the whole thing. And so we read about a lot of these stories that we've been going through and the, and the history that we've been talking about, and then there's certain places that we just don't ever go. And one of them is the end of Judges, that I don't usually ever read through the rest of Judges. But, and so a couple people last week said, I'm excited to see what the Lord has out of the end of Judges. And I said that I am too because I don't know exactly but we are going to finish it. I'm not going to start something and not finish here in Judges. So we're going, to, we're going to continue on chapter 17 of Judges. And it's really interesting to me to hear what is being shared this morning because it really fits with where we're going today in Judges 17. I am not surprised at all because I know that's the God that we serve. And know he can do anything and he can take anything and he can work it together for his good. And it's just really interesting that we... We, want our, we live in a country that's free, and we have freedoms to do everything because it was based on God, because it was based on biblical principles, and if you try to take out the cornerstone of what you built your country on and pull it out and expect the country to operate the same way, it is not going to happen. It may last for a little while because it had a good foundation, but if you slowly remove those pieces of that foundation, it is going to fall at some point if we don't stay or get back to what our country was founded upon and what our families should be founded upon. We did have a good time fishing. We did catch fish this year, which was exciting, but I appreciate Jared uh, putting the time. And Megan, I know you put a lot of time into that too, but it was fun. And if you didn't go as guys, I'm sorry, you missed out. It was fun. You'll have to wait till next year if we do it again. So Appreciate Jared, you doing that. That was really good. Judges chapter 17. I'm going to read it, and then we'll go through and talk about it just a little bit. There it is. 
Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and a house and household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he has said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah. And I am on my way to find a place to stay. Micah said to him, dwell with me. And be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and lived in the house of Micah. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite. As a priest. Father, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that as we look into Judges 17, that you would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see what you have for us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Micah. Now, this is the book of Judges still, and up to this point, we have been talking about people that actually operated as a judge or a, what do you call a lady, a prophetess, whatever they were called. I don't know. And uh, they were delivering Israel from different enemies that they had. And now it kind of switches gears. And so we are no longer talking about someone who is delivering anybody from anything. Micah. He lives in the mountains of Ephraim. And I'm reading through this chapter. And Lord, what's here for us to learn? It's here. It's in the Bible. It's there for a reason. It's got a purpose. What do you want us to get out of it today? How can we apply it to today? How can it be relevant for today? So, we'll see. It's an interesting story. It really, um, you look at it and you try to figure out, I mean, why does it, why would it need to be in here? What would be the reason for it? I'm not sure, but You know, the Lord uses things in different ways than what we can see sometimes. And so as I was reading through here and reading different places around here, um, one of the things that appears is that reading through this chapter, it appears like Micah is trying to take control of his life. He's trying to control what's happening in his life. And so realizing that, you know, his mom had had, I don't think his mom was that great of a person either. It doesn't really say a whole lot about her, but she had 1,100 shekels of silver, which is interestingly enough, the same amount that was agreed to pay Delilah in the previous chapter that we talked about if she would get the secret from Samson. It's a lot of money. It was a lot of money then. 
So I don't know if it was something she had earned, if it was her dowry she took, I don't know what it was. But she had this, and so Micah, her son, had stolen it from her, took the money from his mom. Well, his mom had previously, it doesn't say what the curse is, but she had put a curse on this money. Whoever took it, this is going to happen. Well, apparently Micah, something clicked in his mind that, hey, um, that curse that she said would apply to me because I took the money. And so he was in his way of thinking, uh, he decided he should probably give it back. Because if I give it back, then maybe she will speak a word of blessing over me, and maybe that blessing will counteract the curse. I don't know what's going through these people's minds. It only has what it has written here. So he realizes there's a curse on this money that he took from his mom, and he would like to get out from under the curse. And then, lo and behold, when he gives it back, she blesses him for that. I want to read John Chapter 8. Verses 31 through 36. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Micah, in the Old Testament, in Judges, tried to get out from under this curse. We are living today. We live, we're born into the world under the curse of sin because of sin that happened back in Genesis. But there's a way to get out from underneath of this curse. And it's right there. Therefore, if the Son, if Jesus sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Mike is trying to get out from under this curse on his own. If I give it back, if I do something and give the money back, then maybe I can get out from under this curse. There's nothing that we can do to get us out from under this curse except, 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 that doesn't even sound right to say it twice in a row, Except to accept the free gift of salvation. That's how, if the Son will set you free, you will be free indeed. That's how we can be free. That's how we can get out from under the curse of sin. We still live in a world that's broken, and we will still deal with that. But if we keep our eyes and our focus on Christ, on Jesus, we will be able to live in that freedom. Are we interested in telling the truth because it's the right thing to do? Or are we interested in telling the truth or believing the truth, however you want to look at it, because it's what God wants us to do? Are we doing it because it's the right thing to do, or are we just doing it to get out of the consequences? See, because a lot of decisions that we maybe will make, and I can't, I would have to say that I've done this before, you make a decision based on what the outcome might be. If I decide that I'm not going to prepare for today, I'm just going to stand up here, and I'm not saying, I'm not going to put God in a box and say that God couldn't do that, because I know he could. It would be absolutely nothing that I do, which it isn't already anyways. But if I were to say, I'm not going to prepare anything, I'm not even going to open my Bible this week, I'm just going to get up here, I can't imagine trying to do that. But if I was going to do that, I'm not going to. 
because that sounds the more scary the more I think about it. That gets scarier all the time. But if I'm would to do that, I would know the consequences could very well be that I would get up here and have absolutely nothing to say. Now, God is bigger than that, and God can take anything and use it. But do we make, do we believe things? Do we tell the truth? Do we do certain things because we're trying to avoid what the consequence is? Or do we do things because it's the right thing to do? Because the truth of God's word says that it's the right thing to do. Because it's written here, we want to do it because it's the right thing, not just to avoid the consequences. However, that's an added benefit. The statement that says in verse 3 of chapter 17 is interesting to me. It seems like it contradicts, this seems contradicting to me. <clears throat> it says in verse 3, So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son. Okay, that sounds pretty good so far. Then there's a comma, and it keeps going. If I can figure out where it was. To make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Now, wait, it just said that I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son. And then it says, to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, I don't get this, really. I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to pretend like I understand what's going on, because that doesn't make any sense to me. Because if you go back to Exodus, and I will read it again, and I will read it again another time. But for this morning, it really fits. Exodus chapter 20 and verses 2 through 6. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. I think that covers everything. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, if this money was dedicated to, her, to God for her son, and then she says to use to make idols, okay, that just goes directly against what, what, we're, what the scripture says. What is Micah hoping to accomplish? What is his mother hoping to accomplish here? Because she's not leading him in a very positive direction. And it'd be one thing if you were going to be concerned about yourself. So if she's going to give this and make these idols, he's, Micah's going to make these idols and it would affect him. But in Exodus, it says... For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations. Now, if you're going to do something like what Micah's doing, you're very possibly setting up your family for the next several generations. We just, we're going through judges, and if that's not an example of what's been happening, because it keeps continuing from one generation to the next, it doesn't change, it never changes. What are your great-grandchildren going to remember? 
Not, not about you necessarily. What are they going to remember about what you taught your children and your grandchildren? What is it going to be? We're trying to eliminate in today's world everything that has to do with the history of how our country was founded. We don't want anything to do with it because it was based on Scripture. We're trying to get rid of it. What are your great-grandchildren going to remember about the Bible? Are they going to remember anything? Are we, doing, are we doing the job that we're supposed to do in teaching the next generation? We have a lot of young people here. We have a lot of young people. We have a lot of young children. And my prayer and my heart for my family is that I can teach them the truth. Because in one generation, it can be completely gone. Completely gone. When we started going into Judges, we learned in one generation from the end of Joshua to the first of Judges, in one generation, they forgot. They forgot. In Exodus, it says, I'm the God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Do you not remember the bondage that you were in in Egypt? Did you forget already what happened? And so when the scripture tells us to write it on our foreheads, talk about it when you wake up, talk about it when you sit down, talk about, what, talk about it all the time. You can't overdo it. You can't read scripture enough. You can't read it too much. Are we passing it on to the next generation and to the next generation? Well, my kids are grown. Well, that's great, but you've got grandkids now. And you can teach them the same thing. Micah's mother was not teaching him in a very good, she wasn't setting him up very good. So she gave back 200, did it say 200? She took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith and he made it into a carved image. So again, she says, I've dedicated all this silver to my son so he can make whatever he's going to make. And then in the next verse, she says, it take 200 shekels. Okay, how many do we have? 1,100. She's got 900 shekels left. She did, if we dedicated all of it to him for these things, what did she do with the rest of it? There's other stories about people that didn't tell the truth about how much they gave, and it didn't end very well. It doesn't say how things ended for, well, we'll get into it next week a little bit more, but... Do not, Leviticus 19.4 says, do not turn idol to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. So he goes on a little bit farther, if we keep going in Judges, and then it says that the man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. He wanted his own personal priest. Now, this is kind of weird on several different levels because a priest, okay, the, the, the father of a household is supposed to be, lead his family, right? Okay, you know, you can, today, in today's world, we're even arguing about that. Why does it have to be the father? Well, I didn't write the book. I'm just telling you what it said. Father's supposed to be the leader of his home, spiritually, emotionally, physically. He's supposed to be the leader of his home. So Micah consecrates one of his sons as his own priest. 
In other words, is he trying to, me can read into however you want, but is he trying to shuck off some of his responsibility onto his son? Now you're the priest, you're, re, you're in charge of this part. Well, it, he wasn't supposed to be a priest in this setting. This wasn't right in any sense of the word. But one thing I pull out of that is fathers don't neglect your God-given job. And that's to be the leader of your house. Now we can get, we can get going on different tangents on this. And well, you know, the Bible talks about submitting and, and you know, the wives are supposed to submit and the guy's supposed to be in charge. Well, okay, work together. But really, the buck has to stop somewhere and it's gonna be with the father of the house. Or so, or it should be, according to what scripture says. Another thing that's kind of weird with, this, with him consecrating his own son to be his priest is that uh, Aaron's descendants were the ones that were supposed to be the priests. The Levites were supposed to be the priests, not anybody else. And the third thing is that a priest was for the whole community. How many other people do you know had their own priests living in their house? They didn't have an own personal priest. It was for the community. So there's several things that are a little bit weird with this situation. And then verse 6, which is a common theme throughout Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they had to have a physical king that they could see, but I think also that what what's happening is Jesus is not king either. And so if they're not seeking, the, if they're not spending time with God, if they're not reading what scripture they might have had then, or if they haven't been told and it hasn't been passed on from generation to generation, then they have no king. They don't have a physical king that they can see and just follow the directions because a lot of times it's just easier to follow directions. They don't have God as their king because nobody has passed that on to them, and so everybody just did what was right. Can you imagine? It doesn't work. You go to some countries that have tried it and see how it's working for them because it's not working at all. Because there's no standard. There's no moral standard. There's no uh, uh, rule. There's no nothing. They've thrown the word of God out and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It doesn't work. It won't work. It didn't work then and it won't work today. <clears throat> there's no compass. There's no guidelines. They needed Jesus is what they needed. So keeping on so we can get done. Uh, a young man travels from Bethlehem, and he's looking for a place to stay, basically, is what it sounds like. And so Micah invites him to stay with them and realizes that he's a Levite. Oh, hey, Levite. That's the line that's supposed to be priest. So I'm going to ask him if he would be willing to be a priest for me. Son, you did an okay job, but we got better. We're going to put him in charge. Somehow, in Micah's mind, this would make things better. Because now, okay, not to... I'm just trying to picture, he had a shrine set up in his house, so he's got an idol for this God, and he's got an idol for this God, and an idol for this God, and then he has an ephod built over here, and this shrine, and however, I don't know how he had it all set up, and he tried to consecrate one of his sons to be a priest because he kind of wanted to satisfy 
the one true God just a little bit. And then a Levite comes along, and he, he, in his mind, somehow, he's thinking, if I can tap into that and have him be my priest, then maybe we'll satisfy the one true God. Not to continue bringing up that he has all these other idols there, because I'm, that's not satisfying anybody. You go back to Exodus again, and it says you're not supposed to have any other gods before the true God. Micah, in this case, is revealing the religious downfall of the individual people of Israel. They have fallen a long ways from where they were. From when they first came out of, of um, Egypt, and God is leading them, and yes, they had their problems, and then they wandered in the wilderness, and they conquered the, the promised land, and they moved in, and of course, we read in the first of Judges, they didn't do it exactly the way they were supposed to, and so they started to have trouble, but they have now fallen farther, and Micah, I think, is a representative of what is really happening, how far they have fallen. And the other example is the, the Levite, this priest that came, the Levite illustrates the downfall of the priests and the Levites and what their true calling was. It seems like Micah's trying to cover all of his bases. So let's build a God to everything that we can think of, and let's get a, Lev a Levitical priest so that we can cover everything. You know, just in case one of these uh, chunks of silver can hear us, let's make sure to cover all of these things. He's trying to cover his basis. Maybe they were, maybe their desire was to live for the Lord. I don't know. It doesn't really appear that way. I don't know. You always like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but when they, the way they live is different than what they are saying, it's really hard to see that. I want to read Psalm 127 and verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. If we don't build our house, if we don't build our lives, if we don't live in a way that's honoring to God, if we don't allow God to be the center of everything that we do, we're wasting our time. Because that's really the only thing that matters. And you can say, well, that's kind of narrow-minded. You know, there's lots of, Micah, he's got all these gods up here. Well, okay, let me ask you the question. And if you could go back and ask Micah which one of those gods actually helped him do something. None of them. People try to say that it was that one or that one or that one because of the way they're used to living. But in reality, none of those gods can do anything. So what's the point of building a shrine in your house? This is what I'm gathering from Micah. What's the point of building a shrine in your house if you don't want to believe what the scripture says? What do we build in our houses today? What kind of, what kind of ephods or idols or shrines do we have in our house today? 
And I could step all over people's toes and all over my own toes by mentioning different things that we have. And it's okay to enjoy this life. It's okay to live this life. But if we have things in our house that take more time, that take up more time than we spend reading the word of God or spending talking with God, that's what an idol is. And I know we all have a lot of the same things. Micah's trying to cover everything. Just make sure we got everything covered just in case we, don't, we just don't want to miss anything. But let's not forget, we have the entire scripture to look at. We have stories like this story about Micah that we can look back at and try to figure out what in the world was he thinking? But do we do the same thing today? Maybe we don't build it out of silver. Maybe it's built out of aluminum or metal or wood. It's important, and Micah's mom did not do this, it's important that we teach that there's one true God. There's only one. There's only one. That's a, so important that we get that point across to the next generation. One more verse that I want to read is Matthew chapter 7. Verses 24 through 29. Very familiar. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fail, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teachings, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Jesus is teaching this. He's sharing this with one, with one that has authority, talking about it like he knows what he's talking about. He's been there. He knows how this is going to work, whereas the scribes maybe didn't really fully believe what they were teaching. They were just teaching it because that was the right thing to teach. But here comes Jesus, and he says, this is what I'm going to make that like. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. We want to build our lives on the rock. We want to build our lives based on Jesus and what he's done for us because none of these other gods that we see Micah building or creating and having in his house, none of them did anything for him. And then he thought on top of that by adding this Levite as his priest that he could get kind of wiggle into God's good graces and maybe God would still take care of him. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And when the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell. And great was its fall.
things that we go through in life today are going to determine whether you're the person that listened to, to these words or whether you're the person that did not listen to these words. Because when, when life happens and when things in life happen that are hard and that are difficult and they're blowing you around and the rains come, you're going to find out what kind of foundation that you have. And what's even worse or harder is when the rains come and the hard times in life come for somebody that you know or the, your children. I'm not quite to that point, but we're getting there. That's even harder because then you're going to realize, did I, did I pass that on good enough? Did I create a foundation solid enough for them that they can withstand the same things? Micah tried filling his house with all these idols. Didn't work well for him. He thought by having this priest that God was going to look down pleased with what he had done. Doesn't work that way. Are we going to build our house? Are we going to build our life on the rock? Who is Jesus? Are we going to listen to what these words say or are we going to listen to the things that are happening around us? Are we going to... I'm not saying that you have to go sell everything that you think might be an idol because I don't either. But let's just be aware of what things might be an idol in our lives. Are we willing to release that and give that up if it's getting in the way, if it's getting in our way of serving God? Stand up with me if you would. We're going to uh, sing um, a verse, the first verse and the chorus of On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. We're going to pray, and when we're done singing that, then we can be dismissed. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to build our lives on you. Pray that you would help us to listen to your truth, to listen to your word, not just to ignore it. Lord, help us to also pass these things on to our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren. We love you this morning. We just pray for more opportunities, Lord, to share your love with people as we go about our day. In your name we pray. Amen.